Good afternoon. It is a pleasure to welcome all of you at this CMS webinar dedicated to the International Women's Day. It is really a pleasure to have all of you here because for some of you, this is a day off and for some of you, this is a working day. And we're happy that we can share this event with you. I am Maria Orlik, I'm the managing partner of CMS Reichrodwig-Heinz Kiev office and also co-head of the energy and climate change group within CMS Reichrodwig-Heinz organization. I would like again to congratulate you to this day, to wish you great mood and good time with us. We have prepared this event with our partners and we have invited our very honorable guests to present to you and to speak on the topics that are most relevant for this day. Today, we invite you to the discussion with our partners, Yelena Nusholfiachko from CMS Zagreb office, who would be speaking to Ivana Ruzjak, Director of Legal Affairs of Zaba, the Croatian arm of Unicredit. Our partner, managing partner from Turkey, Johnny Yalcin, will speak to Burcin Ergun, the Associate General Counsel of Honeywell EMEA. Our partner for CMS Zagreb, Tamara Jelic-Kasic, will speak to Ivona Galetic, the legal counsel of Orbico Group. Daniela Karolus-Druna, the CMS partner in Vienna, responsible for the dispute resolution, will be speaking to Kristina Toibe, the legal counsel of CML Strabag. And Andrea Potts would be speaking to our very special guest, Mrs. Edeltaub Hanabi Ega the first female rector of Vienna University of Economics and Business. And I pass the floor to our first panel. And I ask Jelena Nusholfiachko to hold the discussion with her guest, Jelena. Hi, everyone. Yes. Hi. Thank you, Maria. Thank you for the introduction. Hi, everyone. Nice to have you. And big special thanks to Ivana for joining us on this event. Ivana, you have... A really impressive career. You started in pharma industry, which was followed by investment banking, and now you are a general counsel and a member of executive leadership team of Zagrebačka Banka, the largest bank in Croatia. You manage a team of 40 lawyers. Top positions in these sectors are usually the male ones. How do you see your career from a female perspective? Thank you, Jelena, first of all. Hello to everyone. Very happy to be invited and very happy to be part of this event. And like you said, yes, I started 18 years ago in pharma sector. Then I spent, uh, after eight years there, I spent five years in investment banking. And the last five years I've been working in Unicredit, so within uh, banking sectors. Now, looking back, I think when, when you're a young professional, when you start your career, you're actually uh, focused on working hard, on the quality of your work. Uh, I don't think that back then I was aware at all of genders and then gender bias. And uh, also looking back at that time that I spent in pharma, I remember a lot of women being there. So that's not definitely was not an issue. I hardly recall, honestly, a lot of women being there at the top managerial levels. So this was a, a bit uh, different thing. In investment banking, I would honestly take the liberty of saying that in my own perception, it is somewhat a male, male industry. It is very exceptional to see a woman holding the top position there. And when it comes to banking industry, where I am today, I think that traditionally we have been seen uh, also as a male industry, but I'm very happy to see 
things changing. Uh, lately, more and more women are taking over senior managerial positions. And for Unicredit, this is uh, very important. We take really concrete steps to ensure that things change and that in the future it looks differently. Ivana, we've worked on many transactions together and uh, this first-hand experience really allows me to confirm that you're incredibly hardworking and very committed to your job. I think you're a great risk assessor, assessor and a uh, decision maker even under the most stressful circumstances, which I think is crucial for top managerial positions, but it is actually sometimes quite rare to see. But do you think that women have to have stronger or better top performance qualities to enable them to step to the highest positions, whereas this performance criteria may not be as demanding for the male colleagues. Do we have to work harder or are we working hard and not giving our best and not even noticing? Did you see anything in these lines that you would like to comment? Well, just recently I got a message and I have to share it really. It's a very good one. And I think it goes well with the question you posted. And it says it's not easy to be a woman. It says you need to think like a man. You need to act like a lady, uh, you need to look like a girl, and you need to work like a horse. So I don't know whether this is fully true, but made me laugh anyhow. I am, I mean, and thank you. Thank you, Elena, for the kind words, uh, obviously. I personally do not know to act differently, but to work hard and give my best. And I'm very passionate about my work. I'm also very happy with how my career develops. I am where I wanted to be, so I cannot really say that I had bad experiences in any way, really. But then bottom line, if I had to prove differently, I also cannot. So objectively, I think we women do not know what is happening in the background, whether someone is deciding or whether someone is taking into account that you're female, that the team is only consisting of men and how you would fit, or that you're a mother of two, three uh, children and things like that. But I think all in all, taking into account this theoretical possibility that someone is taking into account our gender it may be the case that we take let's say, as a defense mechanism that we work very hard to make sure that they're, that the decision maker cannot avoid us in a way because we're so in a way so good that uh, that nothing else can be taken into account when 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 making the decision could be the case yeah yeah, yeah. I, I fully agree with you and I think also shared the experience now you work in Zagrebačka Banka, which is part of the Unicredit group, and both Zagrebačka and Unicredit are the biggest or one of the biggest regional players in the banking industry, and especially in Croatia. Do Zagrebačka Banka and Unicredit, as a big financial and banking institutions, have gender equality policies in place? How does that look structurally within Zaba and Unicredit? Absolutely. Absolutely. We do. For the time being, we have 70% of women employees. Not something that I can say that fully matches all managerial levels, but I'm happy to, as I said, things changing and Unicredit taking very concrete steps to make sure that we really have gender balance uh, at all managerial levels, including the top ones. So we have even committed to double the level of women in most senior roles already by 22. So which is, I would say, happening now. 22 is practically tomorrow. Unicredit has already, I think, 2009 recognized the need of really having a workplace where everyone has equal opportunities. We have global policy for gender equality since, I think, 2013, and even a group diversity and inclusion manager, which works very closely with our group 
Group CEO. So for us, this is truly very important. It's part of our strategic goals and every manager in Unicredit, like myself, so part of our overall performance, evaluation of our performance is gender equality. So whether we manage to ensure gender balance of teams, gender balance of succession pools and uh, no pay gaps. So for us, this is very important and we are very careful about really implementing the things that we are saying. So one is obviously the theory, the other one is practice. So it's strong commitment really uh, on implementation. Great to hear that uh, What by 2022, which is like you said, tomorrow, you are in such advanced stage. It's really good to hear that some, you have to, the companies have such values. Ivana, we talked briefly before this uh, panel and about how 2020 looks like and how 2021 looks like now. And 2020 was marked with COVID-19, lockdowns, home office. Unfortunately, it seems discontinuous in 2021. It is usually perceived in the society that when it comes to family and household responsibilities, women have more on their plates. You know, keeping aside the, the career, the career path. What is your view on that? Did, did uh, 2020 and 2021 uh, circumstances took toll on our women's and career positions? Yeah, like you said, I and even now before before this event, I remember the experience of March and April uh, uh, last year. Uh, like you said, when the COVID started and there was this first lockdown, so uh, I was at home uh, having three kids. Uh, two of them school kids and a husband. So husband sometimes not necessarily is, uh, you know, the factor that helps. But this time, actually, and I mean, we live in, a, in an apartment. It's not a very small apartment, but it's also not a villa. It's 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 an apartment, a, a standard, I would say, regular one. Everyone had their own duties. Uh, it was a mess, I would say, but I was uh, lucky that uh, my husband's uh, work was actually heavily impacted by, by COVID. So uh, he took over uh, the full care of kids, of their schools, even of the house schools, which uh, really enabled me to work very hard uh, and devote a lot of time to the work back then, I, I suppose you all remember, it was a very turbulent time for, for banking industry because we were working hard on different measures to support the clients. Uh, so it was a very intensive time, a very a challenging experience. And like I uh, told you before, I was happy to go back to the office. I, I rushed back to the office as soon as I could. But I understand that still a lot of people work from home. That is, I fully understand from a personal point of view, very challenging sometimes or for some people. And 2020, at least for Croatia, was not COVID only, like that wasn't enough. So we had mm -hmm. several yeah. quite serious earthquakes, which really yeah. did not happen in this, uh, they did not help in this whole situation. So people are really think, quite uh, stressed exhausted, uh, obviously looking forward to 21 to be different eventually, not yet, like you said. But Zaba, for instance, also recognized this challenge. And we set up a program uh, that called Mind Matters, which focuses on mental health of, on, uh, of employees. So to, mm -hmm. to ensure that employees get the support that they need, that managers can recognize the employees who need the support. So the message is in a way, if you need help, ask for it. We are there for you. Uh, just to kind of, again, notice and recognize that 2020 was really a very challenging year for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. 
It was indeed. Well, Ivana, uh, this is the end of our slot. Thank you very much for sharing your experience with us. It's always inspirational to hear about great female career stories. Thank you again. Thank you. Maria, floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you very much, Yelena. And thank you very much, Ivana. And also thank you very much for being perfectly on time. I would like to ask the attendees of this webinar to think of the questions you would like to ask to our panelists, and then you have the option of asking them um, in the question box of this GoToMeeting tool. And now you will be given an opportunity to answer a poll. We have prepared a few poll questions. So a poll will pop up for a few seconds, and we ask you to answer those questions before we can proceed to our next interview couple. So the question you have is, does your company have clearly communicated diversity policies in place? And while you're answering, I would like to present our next couple, Dona Yalcin, the managing partner of CMS Turkey office and also head of the CMS Rektorovic Heinz Sustainability Initiative, will be speaking to Ms. Bojan Ergun, uh, the Associate General Counsel on Anti-Corruption and Antitrust in Honeywell EMEA, Fortune heads the anti-corruption and antitrust department of Honeywell International for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Previously, she served as a general counsel for Honeywell Turkey. She currently based in Prague and looks forward to being able to travel again. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much, Maria. First of all, thank you very much, Fortune, for taking your time to attend us. And uh, happy International Women's Day to everybody. We too, Burcim and I, would like to focus a bit on the technology angle, but also diversity angle of this topic. I mean, if you would look at Honeywell, Burcim, you would say Honeywell is by nature diverse, right? Because it's a global company. So many this, uh, locations in so many countries. So could you tell us more about what diversity really means to Honeywell? What type of programs you have or examples for best practices? Because it's not just about gender, right? Thank you, Dana. And uh, thank you, CMS, for also hosting this wonderful event today where we get to chat with all of these women that we can also learn from. And happy Women's Day to everyone. To start off, Donna, as you mentioned, last year and this year, Honeywell has been focused on a launching a variety of diversity programs, not only for women, but also for taking into consideration, especially the special circumstances that are presented in different countries as well and uh, promoting uh, separate programs within those countries. And also being a science and technology company, we have seen as you know, many of you have also seen that diversity is no longer a uh, something to strive for, but also a necessity in order to have innovation and be a market leader especially in standard industry as well as science math engineering we're seeing that uh, women are not uh, represented in the numbers that um, they should be and as a uh, market leader in a lot of these industries we understand that we need to take a leadership role and put these um, programs into place. As also mentioned by a previous panelist, we have had special focus on unconscious bias 
during the last year and this year as well. And uh, personally, I've seen that as not only from a diversity or a difference perspective, but also it can even be difference in working styles. For instance, some people are go-getters and like to, and they're always voice their opinions and uh, like to get something done very quickly, whereas others might be more reserved, but that doesn't mean that they're lacking any uh, ideas. So to make sure that we're giving everyone an equal um, opportunity. Some of the things that we've been doing are conscious bias training for all employees um, globally, as well as special training for leadership that we have all undergone. And it's not just a theoretical where we have to actually build upon those learnings, as well as diversity career advancement programs, women's leadership programs. And the types of programs that I actually find most valuable are those where we are matching women with either mentors or uh, external advisors and coaches to work with them one-to-one and uh, really show them the opportunities and help them develop to their fullest potential. Uh, Some of the programs that I'm most passionate about, for instance, in the Czech Republic, we've uh, partnered with a local organization called uh, Chiquitas, which helps encourage high school and uh, university students or women to take to choose careers in engineering and math. And they are meeting with female Honeywell engineers regularly in order to show them, to guide them and mentor them. One other example that I've seen uh, this week to kind of demonstrate the uh, different projects that are happening to be customized to the unique customs and uh, situations of each country, we have appointed the first female um, site leader on a construction site in Saudi Arabia. And you can imagine the challenges in working with the end customer, which I think is a great path that uh, international companies can actually open up these previously closed channels. Very interesting. That sounds really, really exciting, especially when it comes to, I think, countries where this needs further development and and which are especially industries which are very male dominated, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Which happen Mm -hmm. in construction in a lot of of countries. Because you mentioned mentoring programs, are you doing these mentorings cross-border? Because you said, I mean, cultural differences have also, of course, an impact. Are you doing that cross-border or how you do that? Yeah, definitely. It's a combination of both. So we have uh, local programs within the country that match you with uh, both external and internal mentors. But the majority are cross-border and especially with uh, women from and leaders, not only women, from different businesses or uh, that have had different career paths than the mentee so that they can really see the opportunity. And these mentorship programs are usually structured so that both the mentee and mentor actually have to put in a lot of work and really show the outcomes. For instance, I took part in a uh, leadership uh, program two years ago that brings together, I guess, mid 
level managers to uh, work with them very closely for one year to help advance their career. And I have been uh, promoted as a direct result of that, as well as I think uh, a large percentage of my classmates. So it's good to see that these programs are also measurable in outcome. Very, very interesting. I mean, when I listen to really successful women, I'm always, I mean, there are so many books out there, so many coaches there and so on and so forth. And uh, the theory is something, but uh, practice is something different. So I'm uh, always very interested in the story behind the person. This is why I would like to ask you, what were the key factors for your success? How hard was it? How easy was it? And what would you say, what are your takeaways? What would you like to share with our audience? Thank you. I think really there's a few factors that come into play. For example, I think a lot of the uh, attorneys on this call can relate. The majority of law students in law schools are female and another, even a greater percentage are those make up those that are highest uh, performing. And then when you enter a law firm, that, again, the largest percentage is female, but then as you move up to the partnership level, it does decrease. One kind of parting point that I would like to make is, you know, we have all all of these great programs that everyone participates in, and we have uh, many, many companies have these global programs. Personally, what I've felt the most impact is the few people, both women and men, who have helped me personally. So I I think we shouldn't forget the uh, individual impact that each of us can have by supporting uh, someone who displays potential, whether it's in an unofficial capacity and just helping them reach their full potential. Thank you very much, uh, Borchin. Maria, over to you. Thank you. We will have another poll question. So I would kindly ask my colleagues to switch to the next question. So the question is, do you feel that you can personally contribute to diversity programs and policies in your company? And while you're answering the question, I would like to present our next couple, our interview couple. Tamara Jelic-Kazic, our partner from Zagreb, who is in charge of the tax group, basically the largest tax group among the law firms in, in Zagreb. We'll be interviewing her guest, Ivona Galetic, the legal counsel of Orbico Group. Ivona is heading the team of four legal specialists in the Orbico Legal Unit, which is part of the group Treasury Legal Department. She's initiator and coordinator of Orbico Legal Community formed with local legal counsel and Orbico operating countries. So I would pass the floor to Tamara and to Ivona, and we look forward to hearing your discussion. Thank you, Maria. Hello, Ivona. Hello, everybody. Thank you, Ivona, for participating. If we can start a little about Orbico. So we would like to understand your view. Do you see Orbico as a company in a distribution sector as male-dominated sector? Or is it something different in practice? And if you can also compare the overall situation in Orbico with your legal unit, which you are heading in Zagreb, And if I can maybe add from the uh, law firm perspective, we see that the law is not anymore so male-oriented sector. 
And it seems to me that woman persistence and often patience pays off. So in our law firm, we are now majority of women attorneys at law. So how is the situation in Norvico? Hi, Tamara. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Maria, also for the introduction. And thank you for having me here today. Just, uh, first of all, happy Women's Day to all. Regarding this first question, uh, I would need to answer from two different perspectives. One is the distribution sector as it's per se, because I would not say that Orbico is a typical distribution company because we have uh, both beauty and FMCG products. So I would not say that this is a male or female dominated sector, I would say that we have like half-half situation. I think that we will discuss this a bit uh, later under the the second question. But another perspective is our uh, legal unit uh, and our legal community we have in Orbico, which I'm not that proud to say, but uh, is mostly male dominated. Uh, So uh, uh, I'm actually the only female in the legal unit uh, with my three male colleagues but hopefully things will change uh, eventually. We just uh, started the group legal from last year, so we are at the very beginning. Uh, Ivona, but you had some saying in choosing your uh, younger colleagues in the team. Uh, yes, I did. Actually, I was afraid of this question because we are discussing on the Women's International Day. Well, the situation is that we just had a lot of, let's say, candidates for the position. And given the overall experience, it seemed that male colleagues had it, let's say, more I also got the impression when we were hiring candidates that everybody thought that being a legal counsel in a company such as uh, Orbico would be like less work, less stress, which is not true. I think that the the overall impression uh, guys left on this was, uh, let's say, at that stage, a bit better. And also a lot of I don't know why, but a lot of male candidates applied, actually. So the the pool for for choosing was, let's say, more in favor of uh, men. When it comes to decision-making within Orbico, do you feel that there is equal input from women and men? I understand that on Orbico Group Management Company, you have a majority of women. Was this some initiative or it it is the result of equal opportunities? Can, Can we say it like that? Uh, well, I would say that uh, it's a result of equal opportunities. Yes, on so Nordico Group Management Board level, uh, we have uh, one male and three female. We have two different, let's say, themes of business. So it's beauty business and FMCG business. So I would say that, let's say, this division came naturally because obviously more women are in the beauty business. Although I'd say also we have half-half situation here. Statistically speaking, we are also somewhere in the middle. So I took the effort to have the statistical numbers for the last three years in Orbico, and we have like uh, 53% of men overall. But on top management, I would say that women are standing pretty good with numbers. I didn't have the chance to take out all the numbers, but yeah, we are standing pretty good on these managerial positions. Also, and this is something that our owner usually stresses out in his interviews is that women really tend to get the same opportunity as men because we are a family-owned company and it's all about the ability and the chance you get regardless of the gender. Great, nice to hear that. And in terms of corporate governance, are there any social and diversity initiatives 
Well, from a group level, we just started and we are kicking off with the corporate governance project this year. You know, you need to have the budget and everything. So it will be a very challenging period within the next three years to really develop on a group level into something we want for the future period. On local levels, and trust me, it would be very hard work to collect inputs from 20 countries on, on uh, all the initiatives they have uh, locally with respect to CSR, ESG. But on a local level, I think that a lot of women received at least flowers uh, and we received flowers and cake today. So I'm sure that on a local level, women are very happy today in Orbico. And remembered, of course, by their colleagues. Of course. <laughs> of course. And Ivona, a bit about uh, maybe your career. Have you ever experienced a, a gender bias during your career at the beginnings or, or during career? Well, Tamara, I'm lucky to say that actually, well, maybe to, to start from the beginning. So when you finish law school, at least in Croatia, as, as you may be aware, it's normal that you go into the direction of a law office or a law firm. And to be honest, my first interviews were always ending or finalized with the feedback. Sorry, but we hired a male colleague. And it's more of an expression in, in creation if you say kolega than kolegica. I was a bit down because of it, because uh, back in, let's say, 2012, when I started exploring the labor market, it was really like uh, my morale was really down because I, I thought that I will never find a, a job. Luckily, I started my career in an international environment and I'm still uh, in the international environment today. So I must say I haven't experienced, besides this recruitment process or selection process, uh, I haven't experienced any bias in that sense. So I'm very positive with respect to that. And one last thing, so not, not to take uh, more time to, for, for other couples. We learned from some recent studies that it's in particularly uh, difficult for working mothers. So during this COVID crisis and lockdowns, uh, it seems that mothers have been simultaneously working and caring for kids. From the personal perspective, I can say that flexibility provided by employer and this ability to self-organize helps a lot. Have Orbico dealt with such issues, uh, so family work-life combination? In 2020, uh, so last year, it all happened like ad hoc. So we are just we were just told, uh, please go home and work from home. I must say, I, I need to emphasize that for me, women who have children, especially those uh, who go to school are like true heroes for me uh, during this COVID situation. Women here were not complaining, but I know that it was a struggle for them. And I must say that all the colleagues without children were really doing their best to help and to jump in whenever needed. So I'm also happy about that. Uh, thank you, Ivona, for participating and sharing information with us. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you very much. And we have another question for the poll. Has your company shown flexibility during the lockdowns that has made your family life easier? And we're moving to our next panel. And I'm presenting Daniela Carolus Bruna, who is the equity partner in CMS Rectorvik Heinz and head of our dispute resolution team, uh, who oversees actually the dispute resolution groups in 11 countries in Austria and CE. And she's also co-head of the insurance uh, sector group with the CMS Reykjavik Heinz. Daniela's guest today is Christina Teuber. Ms. Teuber is the general legal counsel 
of CML Strabag SE. She's providing legal support for all international companies belonging to the Strabag SE group in arbitration and alternative dispute resolution. She's an international coordinator for data protection, IT law, and licensing agreements, BIM, and one of the lead members of the International Legal Tech Working Group. Daniela, the floor is yours. Thank you very, very much. So, Women's Day is a reminder of all achievements that we have already uh, made over, well, centuries. It is a moment to be proud. But also, as the title of one of my favorite songs says, a woman's work is never done. It is also a day to think about the many open issues, the many hills we still have to climb. So I'm most happy to talk to Ms. Christina Teuber today, another lady who can be most proud of what she has achieved, especially in a very male-dominated sector, such as the construction sector. Strabag, as you may know, is one of the biggest construction companies, especially in Europe, but even beyond that. So, Christina, you do work in a male-dominated sector. Have you personally experienced gender bias? And if so, how have you overcome it? First of all, good afternoon, everybody. And thank you for CMS for having me. And thanks, Daniela, for this question. So I have to say yes and no. I have maybe a funny anecdote I can share, which actually reoccurs on a quite frequent level. At the times when we were still working in the office, my office was the fourth in row on the corridor. But I can assure you that whenever there was somebody coming, in particular externally, they passed my three male offices and asked me then, where is the toilet, where they can put on parking slot, where they can, if or if I even called, can call them a cab. So you see, I mean, there is this kind of bias when there ever is a woman sitting somewhere, she's the assistant. So, and I have to say, I had to learn to not answer these questions, but I simply point them to the assistant. But this is, I would say, in that respect, there was gender bias. Otherwise, for my particular work, I would say no, because actually when this international legal department started where I'm working in, we were a group of three women, which was per se a very rare site at that point in time within Strabag. And... Honestly, we were always treated by respect and we never, I mean, of course, you hear a bad joke, but that's the construction industry, right? You have to deal with that. I mean, that's part of the game, I would say. But always, if you feel a line was overstepped, you simply have to say something back, right? Otherwise, I think it would not work. When it comes to certain personal feelings, I would say in particular, as I do a lot of dispute resolution, and you might know that yourself, there is at the beginning a lot of resentment. But I have to say this resentment is also something which I can understand from the perspective of the people working on sites because we go there, rip their beloved project apart, trample on it and peer it in pieces just to understand where the issues are. So I think as a woman in particular, this is something which was important to learn how to deal with that resentment. And I think you can overcome or I overcame it. And I also see that by my, my younger colleagues, which, which I worked with, um, that's something, an important lesson to be learned, right? You don't have to be liked, you have to be respected. And I think you earn the respect by showing up every day and, and do your best work. That's a very important point that you made, that you have to understand that it's not so important to be liked, but to be respected. Yes. And that you actually also have to then speak up in order to, 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 to get the respect that you deserve. 
So when you look back, how has your learning and our early career environment affected your current position? And especially what do you believe were the trends back then and how do they compare to trends that you perceive today? Well, I would say I, I came into Strabag in a very, a very interesting point in time, which was quite a little bit before the financial crisis in 2008. So you see, I'm already quite long with this company. But that was a really turning point, 2008, 2009, because at that point in time, there were no more deals. I mean, before that, deals were everywhere, right? You just settled. But this, this really stopped after 2009. And so, so I kind of slipped intentionally or unintentionally in the arbitration business. And this is where I, where I stuck and where I built up my career and also my knowledge and everything. So I think that was, that was important. But what I see today in particular is that the construction industry per se is changing a lot. It has not been digitalized sector as all as many other sectors, also sectors which are where have, I have these esteemed colleagues uh, talking today. But we are moving, I personally believe, the construction industry is moving into a more technology prone sector or might even become a technology sector. I know I have certain colleagues within my department to disagree with me, but I have to say I truly believe that. And this is also why I'm very happy that I have the opportunity to deal now with IT law a lot, that we're looking into this legal tech a lot, and, and, and I think this is the future for, for construction. I couldn't agree more. I'm actually responsible in our firm for IT, so I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Also for lawyers, more and more important. Now. Yes, it is. But it, it, is, is. it is wonderful to hear that also, uh, in your case, lady is taking care of that, which is contrary to many unknown or even known biases that I, that I have received over the years. So that, that's also great to hear. What do you believe, when you look back, has been the decisive factor in your career? And why not how did it take off, actually? Well, I think as I said before, it was it was this arbitration that 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 really everything fell into place because that's where I felt I'm at home in a way, yeah, legal wise. Because I think as a as a young lawyer, it's like if you start playing the piano, right? You come right out of university, you're full with information from books, but you never really practice this, right? And so you have really to start slowly, you know, getting into the game. And, and then with this arbitration, I finally felt, yeah, this is this is the thing I want to do. This is this is where where I really want to want to make a difference for the company. And and this is actually, I would say, this is it. And on top of that, I really had always had bosses who supported me on that, and and I could really expand in this direction. So so I never had colleagues who were saying, okay, you cannot do that. You cannot. So I, I personally pushed for ideas myself, and I think this is also maybe a message for for younger lawyers out there. Just don't wait. Don't don't wait to be asked to, to do something, right? Just if you have a good idea and, and if you want to say something, just say it because nobody will, will pick you up and say, Oh my god, you're you're an amazing woman, you know, I saw your resume, your CV is amazing, so so you're the one. So so I really encourage everyone just to, to go out there and, and and put your ideas out there and, and see what, what responses there are. You know? Raise your hand, very important. Yes. Right, Thank raise you. your hand, correct. Yes. Raise your hand, speak up. Uh, that actually touches another point. How do you feel about setting up mentorship and sponsorship programs 
And but first, do you believe that's a good idea that it works? And if so, what should they entail? Well, I have to say I'm a bit 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 torn in between. Uh, first of all, I personally profited a lot from the mentorship I had in my early days with Ms. Strabag, as I had a female boss at the beginning. And she actually taught me a lot, uh, of course, about law, but more about how to position yourself towards the operatives, because this is always, I think, something important to like not answer every question is one of my nicest examples here. You just don't have to feel the obligation to answer everything you're asked for. So that really worked well, but this was not and enforced, and I use this word lightly, I know this sounds harsh, it was not, not something which, which was, was put together intentionally, but it happened organically. So yes, I think they work, but only if they are organically, right? I mean, if, if you don't like the person you are, you, who is your finally your mentor, and you have maybe so much anticipation for such a program, I think it can, get, can go totally wrong or in the wrong direction. And I also think that there is sometimes so much, um, so much, so much, so many wishes from mentees towards the mentor, which maybe cannot be fulfilled. So again, I think if it happens and if it's great, yes, it's a great opportunity, go for it. But if it does not happen or if a company does not provide for such a thing, I think that that's not, nothing's lost because also today in today's world, Due to internet, due to low accessibility, there is so much amazing content on the internet where you can profit from. So, so I don't see a big harm if there is nothing within your company if you per se are interested in such um, programs. Yeah. I fully understand that. I would actually agree with you. Uh, just uh, to conclude, another very important topic. There's a recent study by the IFS and the UCL Institute of Education that found that amongst those being paid, doing paid work from home during the lockdown, because we are still all in corona times, mothers are more likely than fathers to be spending their working hours simultaneously caring for children. I know that you also mother of a very nice small daughter. I have already seen her at video conferences. So how has your employer on how you're addressing these issues? First of all, I have a very clear, I can really cut this in this, this experience in two, because in Austria, we had so far two very strict lockdowns, including homeschooling. The first one I took over. And if I think about back at that time, it's just a black tunnel, actually, where I kind of came out. I have no idea. And the th because I had work and everything on, in the construction world collapsed in March, right? This was a real disaster. And we were just like, I don't know shuffling every project. And in the second lockdown, it was my husband who took fully care of homeschooling and his work. And he made it way better than I do. He's made more patient. He's much better in homeschooling. So, so I think men have to take up this responsibility as well and even show that they can do that. And my husband was actually very proud of himself how he dealt with the situation. So there is no reason that only women have to take over those chores as well. I couldn't agree more. Well, I could continue chatting with you for hours. And it's yeah, really me too. Easy to make one final comment, because I think that's really important. Christina and I are currently working together in an all-female legal team in a huge arbitration case. So on Strabag's side, it's all-female. On our side, it's all-female. And that's a really first. And I'm extremely happy about that. And me I look too. forward to many more of those. Thank you so yeah. much, Christina. 
Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Back to you, Maria. Thank you very much. It's a bit of a challenging task, you know, to be the also the timekeeper and to, to cut short these discussions because, you know, it's, it's a pleasure listening to them because they touch on the topics that are so naturally close to all of us. We have to move on. And I'm asking for the next poll to appear. Question is, is your sector gender dominated? I guess we have received all the answers already. And I'm absolutely happy to introduce our next panel. Uh, and I'm giving the floor to Andrea Kotz, who is our partner in the employment team in Vienna. She's a sought after expert in university law and, one of the and her specialization is actually anti-discrimination law. And we extend our very special welcome to our esteemed guest, uh, Dr. Hanabi Ega. Uh, since 2015, she has been the rector of the Vienna University of Economics and Business. She holds a PhD in computer science and is full professor for gender and diversity in organizations. She is head of the Institute for Gender and Diversity in Organizations at Vienna University of Economics and Business. And she was a guest researcher at several international research institutions like LSE in 2011 and McGill in 2014. Ms. Hanabi Ega has published more than 350 articles, books, and book chapters on gender and diversity, organization studies, and diversity management. So we welcome you and uh, we look forward to your discussion. Thank you very much for the introduction and also for my side and heartily welcome. Mrs. Hanabi Ega, we already heard several stories and personal experience of female manager, top female manager. And so I wanted to start my question um, of how you, not only as a rector, but also as a professor for um, gender and diversity in organizations, perceive the role of female manager today. What has improved over the recent years? What has not improved? What do you think is necessary? Which steps are necessary to have to be taken? Well, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for having me here. So I'm, it's a big pleasure to talk a little bit about gender issues and, and what are the latest successes and what, what are we still waiting for, right? So yeah. what I guess is that actually, of course, there, there were changes. There is no, no question. So if I have a look at the data effects, we can see there is improvement in terms of gender balance. But what we also can see is that there is still a very strong imbalance in top management um, positions. And uh, having been a researcher on gender and diversity in organizations, we could see that there is a, there's a slight change in terms of maybe we are not so much confronted anymore with uh, what we would call glass ceiling, because glass ceiling is a concept stemming from a time where there was a very strict match on the sex of, of people and the, the job. And the job, of course, was also a kind of a gendered job description. Now, what I could see in the last years is that, of course, there's a change. So more and more women do have top management uh, positions, even not, as I said, adequately, but still they have. And now what we could see is a, a phenomenon I would call a glass filter. Somehow we moved from glass ceiling to glass filtering. 
what does this mean now? I, I see that uh, management positions is the management uh, or, or let's say all job descriptions are composed of, you know, a formal educational condition like you should have studied this or that or you should have done this or that. But then, of course, we also have job descriptions referring to social skills. Then we have those attributes like communication skills or, you know, have um, you know, analytical thinking or whatsoever. And then there is another part of job description. This is more about being, you know, are you stress resistant? Are you mobile? Are you flexible? And, and these kind of things. And what we oversee is that those job descriptions, these job characteristics are gendered in a way that they refer to social living context who are gendered. Like, so if you should be flexible and mobile, this mobile, that would mean that you don't have any nursing obligations, that you don't, that you really have a kind of a single life allowing you to be flexible and mobile and all this stuff. So we do have those background gendered uh, circumstances determining what can you do and what can't you do or what is very difficult you, for you to do. The job descriptions are still the same, but now it's not so much, uh, much about the matching of sex and the job. It's more about matching gender and the job and gender in terms of the social social construction of, uh, of 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 gender relations and gender behavior so this means that uh, we can see that if you compare female or male managers stock managers they very very often do have a similar understanding of their job they very often have a similar understanding of uh, leadership style of leadership values of self-understandings and of this kind of uh, job role description. So they don't differ a lot. But what we also can see is that these, the different people are perceived differently. So they are judged differently. So for instance, uh, we can see that if uh, women are having, they have a similar leadership style as men, then they are perceived as being not feminine anymore. If they have their own style, their own leadership style, their own understanding, then they are perceived as unprofessional. So this is what we call gender bind, uh, double binding. So this is very difficult for, for women to deal with. So this is an interesting phenomenon. And also we could see that there is also a difference in if it comes to questions of how to have a work-life balance. So I remember one study where a female manager would say, well, it's a bit difficult for me to have those work-life balance because, you know, I feel bad because I'm not at home before eight every day. So it's difficult for me. And a kind of an analogic and, and, and a similar answer of a male manager then was, well, I think work-life balance is fine. I can organize it because I manage to be at home every day at eight. You know, so this is this different, different way of how are you responsive and how are you going to combine a top management position with your private life. Okay, that's really interesting. And one point I would like to... To, um, to pick up when you say being at home, because we already also mentioned the corona crisis, and I would like to address the topic of home office as well, because for me as a labor lawyer, and for all labor lawyers right now, it's, you can imagine currently, a really we are really occupied by this topic intensively, and I was wondering if you see a risk there with home office, because this may lead 
the kind of a gender-related separation of the workforce, meaning more women work in, within home office and more men are still working in the company. And perhaps this leads to the situation that the women get invisible for the employer. Do you see a risk there? Yes, there is always a risk. Uh, I think the issue is uh, where do these risks stem from, right? So given the fact that more women are working in the nursing or educational field, I do not see this risk because, you know, we, we really we really know and we have the discussion that uh, homeschooling is not a good solution, that distance learning is not a good solution, that, of course, nursing at home is not a good solution. You can't do this via distance. So all these branches are actually not, they can't be substituted by digital formats, right? So there's no risk that this is a kind of a gender issue or the gender imbalance. Now, given the other, well, all these branches or these units where there is a kind of a career and promotion issue coming up. And we know that this is very often very much connected to be present, to be visible, to to take part in any discussion, to participate in whatsoever, right? So, yeah, that could be a risk. But, for instance, in science and research, I had an interesting discussion with our researchers. And what we figured out is that this whole pandemic situation with homeschooling and with both partners staying at home with their jobs, it was very difficult for them to be be creative in terms of doing research. But this was not at all an issue of fee of men or women. This was an issue of those who did have families and those not. So the single women, for instance, the single professors were very happy about the pandemic because they said, no, oh, I could now focus on my research. I did not travel. I had not no boring meetings, you know, so I was really very, very much productive. productive. But at the same time, we had family as we had parents both male and female and both said that it was so difficult for them because you know even if you send your kids to bed after eight you can't you can't just switch on your creativity after eight saying okay now let's do my big research uh, issue so this was more about the living context of our researchers and not so much about gender i know that the university for economics and business is rather active in offering programs, mentoring programs or support programs, empowerment programs for women. I, for myself, it's a long time ago, more than 10 years, had the opportunity to participate in a program for female scientists at the university. And this was really great, I have to say. What other kind of um, programs and measures are offered by the university, especially also for former students? Well, we, we do some mentoring programs. For instance, I, I, I introduced our mentoring program, what we call the Wise Women of VU. So the Wise oh, Women of VU is <laughs> the Wise yeah. Women of VU. Actually, that, that, that idea came originally from my grandma, who always said, you, you don't become an old woman, you become a wise woman. <laughs> so that was then a basic idea of having wise women. Means, that means that female top managers are willing to mentor uh, young managers, early career managers, female managers during one year. So this is a very nice program. Both are very happy because we had the idea that both will uh, benefit from this uh, relationship. We also, of course, do have some career programs for female scientists 
but this, to be very honest, always means that we try to fix the women. So this is the idea of you have a disadvantage and now, you know, you're not enough self-confident, you you are a little bit unsure about how things are going. You don't maybe not know the game. So we try to train the women, you know, and be prepared for the game. My more promising approach now is to say, well, let's question the game. Let's question the organizational culture and the way we perceive career and promotion and values. And therefore, we introduced the new performance measurement system, taking into account living circumstances. And let me just give a very brief example of what this means. For instance, normally, a performance measurement in science and research was very much about counting, and in particular, counting research output, right? So you could say, well, somebody who has published 10 papers is a better performer than, than someone who is publishing six papers. But if you would know that the person with six papers only had a part-time arrangement, then of course you could see that, that actually this is the stronger performer. So what we try now is to have a ra rather innovative and holistic performance measurement system taking into account under which circumstances those performances have been delivered. So this is what we call performance uh, relative to opportunity. And this is very much not so much fix the women approach, but this is more fix the system approach. That's really, that's really interesting, I think. And also for, all our, for our audience, really helpful to get this also scientific approach and ideas how to promote especially women in the company and finally I have one final question because this topic is normally raised in occasion of the International Women's Day the women's quota what do you think about the women's quota <laughs> is it good is it bad do uh, need it? let me make a very cynical joke right it's very very cynical so given the the gender gap in income which means that from, from a business perspective, this would mean that you get, sorry, that you get the job done of somebody who is equally qualified and is doing the, the same job, but is much cheaper. So somebody would from, from the business rationality would have to hire more women, right? Just to, to save cost. This is very simple, but they don't. So this is a kind of an, irrationality of the business rationality. So it can't be an objective thing. It's more about power games. So this means that the quota is an external pressure on a system behavior, on a system behavior and therefore it's very much necessary to change system behavior. So I, I personally believe very strongly in quota because I don't think that this is a contradiction to qualification, as it is very often framed. But it is a kind of a decision-making help or decision-making advice. You have two people, uh, they have the same qualification, they can do the job. So take the one who is underrepresented in terms of gender. So that's about quota. Well, I think there's nothing more to add at this point. Thank you very much for your time and you. for the And I'll pass back to Maria. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm taking notes as, as I listen to the session because, you know, it's every, every discussion, every interview so full of jewels that I'm sure I will be happy to use in my 
future life and at work. We will now have a Q&A session, but before we move to the Q&A session, because we actually have a, a good collection of very good questions to all the panelists, I would like to ask my colleagues to uh, run the last question of our poll. So the question is, have you experienced gender inequality during your university studies? And after uh, we receive the answers to this question, I will ask all the panelists to turn on their cameras so that we can ask you the questions that we have received. And I suppose we still have enough time to go through all of them. Let's start with the Q&A session. And uh, I would like to continue with the discussion with Mrs. Hanapi Ega. And the question that we have for you is, uh, would you say that the gender-related disadvantages in the workplace occur later in the career now than some 20 years ago? What is your perspective on this? Yeah, I think so. I think that there is a more uh, invisible and more hidden way of disadvantaging women or even discrimination. It's no explicit. So we have done, thanks to our legal advisors and our legal uh, professionals, there is no direct and no obvious, obvious discrimination. But yeah, it's more hidden and therefore it's, of course, also uh, more difficult the solution, I definitely think that we should question the system and the culture in an organization and less question a female behavior. Thank you very much. Then we have a question for Borchin Ergun. Question to you would be, if you could do one thing to retain more women employees in the organization, what would that be? It's a very good question to pick one. I think... The, the most important thing is putting in place those programs to support them without them having to help for it so that there is something that's unique, that fits everyone. Not all women are going to need the same types of opportunities or help to make sure that they have the same access to opportunity. And I can cheat and pick a second one, I would say your personal help and support to those that you believe will benefit from it. Thank you very much. And, you know, speaking of help and support, we also have another question regarding the COVID situation and, now, and how that has affected your organization, how you're dealing with it. So, of course, like all companies, um, we were faced with radical changes suddenly. Uh, we were in a digitization process uh, before COVID began, and of course, it uh, magnified very quickly afterwards. There are support mechanisms, as others have mentioned, to help everyone adjust. But I think it's also presented an opportunity in that now we have diverse teams from across the globe working together who normally weren't necessarily working together because they weren't in the same office and also access to top management. I'm sure others have noticed, especially for more junior and mid-level employees, whereas they might not be invited to a physical meeting, they now have a lot more opportunity to attend those meetings and have exposure to senior management and I think lastly again it's even if you don't necessarily have a lot of uh, programs to help the adjustment go smoothly you can always have understanding and more flexibility to the individual needs of employees. Thank you very much. We also have a question to Ivona Galetic and the question is from the perspective of your company is the concept of the glass ceiling outdated 
or as relevant as to today as it was, you know, at the start of your career? So have you seen any shift in relation to this concept during your career? It's also a very good question, actually. Not sure uh, whether at the beginning of the career I completely understood the concept of glass ceiling, as our colleague here, the panelist, explained. But I would say that it's like remain the same the whole time. So what do we want to achieve? Where do we want to get? Whether there is a glass ceiling, actually. So not sure whether I can comment on this properly from my perspective, but I would say it was always the same thing for all of us. The concept is the same the whole time. Maybe someone else has like a different perspective on this. By the way, I totally encourage the panelists to address the the same question. If you have, you know, if you have an answer to the same question, we would be delighted to know it. How it has been in your organizations and in your experience. May I just add, you know, uh, for instance, when I was uh, starting studying, there was no quota regulation at the universities, but this was introduced and this obviously helped a lot to get also the female academics into committees and they were chairing committees, then they became vice rector and finally they started to become rector. Not so bad. Yeah. You know, we have, um, I think quota is, is, a, is an exceptionally sensitive issue. And I have noticed that as the time goes by and you discuss quota issue with, you know, women in, in management positions and power positions, their attitude toward quota changes. You know, this is this is that I noticed over the past maybe 10 years. And I I noticed that the skepticism towards the quota kind of fades down. And it, it becomes apparent that apparently this is a mechanism that, that helps. So it's, it's really interesting to, to observe those changes. I guess we can speak endlessly about quotas. And I have also a question here to Ivana. And I guess that question is something that we have heard. It has a certain relation to something we have heard from the other panelists. So do you think that women have found it easier to adapt to working from home rather than their male colleagues? I think if I may be uh, so open, I think that women are overall more flexible. So we we tend to adapt to, to new situation more easily than than males. So now I'm really speaking on behalf of the women. But again, at the end, it really it depends on the circumstances. Like I like I was explaining my situation, it wasn't so difficult to adapt to working from home, but to, to cover all the, the, the other duties that are simply, they were not, it wasn't possible to, to work at the same time uh, 10 or 12 hours a day to devote it to your, to your work and to be there for your uh, kids, help them cover their uh, duties, uh, their, their schools, and maybe even prepare a lunch. I mean, there is, there are certain limits. We're all humans and uh, we cannot triplicate ourselves. So you can do only as much as you can do within a certain time. So if you need to devote this time, like I had to really because of the, the, the huge pressure from work, if I had to devote it to work, I really couldn't have made it without uh, the support from someone. In this case, it was really my husband, and I'm very thankful for having him at that time. If he wasn't there, I would simply, in a way, fail because uh, I cannot duplicate myself. Simply, one or the other thing would uh, miss me, either the work or my, my kids, and someone would be very unhappy. So that's, I would say, the reality, unfortunately. Thank you very much. Um, then we also have a question for Mrs. Toiba. 
And the question uh, would be, would you encourage more women to enter your industry? Yes, of course, because there needs to be change there. There for sure. No, we need way more women in that industry. I think I think it, the way we work is still very male dominated. So if you break up these these purely male dominated groups, also I think the momentum shifts, and I think that's why women are extremely important there. It's just a question how you get the women into these fields. That's that's I think the more important question. How can you encourage? female interest into so-called male interested areas. Yeah. And I also have to say, I have to ask myself that because I have a daughter and, and, and I per se, I'm from my, my beginning or thinking when I was a child, like this was not my main interest, natural sciences or, or I don't know any, any engineering work, but, but what I found very interesting is who at my daughter's school, they offered that to her. And I said, okay, maybe if you're interested, you just should check it out. And she loved it because the way they did it was amazing. So I think it's also we have to rethink our own maybe internal boundaries in that respect and just just open up whatever is out there for our kids. Otherwise, I think it won't work. May I ask if your organization does anything, you know, to to do that, or is it merely a plan at the moment or you know, an idea? No, what we have, what we have, and excuse you, I don't know the exact title, but what we have is something called the Daughters' Day. So you have one day in the year where you bring in either your own daughters or, or some acquaintances' daughters and you just show them around. And I think what, what, what we are doing at Strabag, right? And I think that's, again, another very important thing. You show by example. You, you attach people by example. You let them in. You open up your organization and just simply show what's happening there just to raise, raise awareness, raise interest. And I will have just one last small question, but to all the guests uh, that, that we have today. And the question is very simple, and I will ask all of you to, to, to answer and to make things easier. We'll just probably be calling you as, as, as I see you lines in this, uh, in this panel. Uh, and the question is, uh, and it's not that gender related, but it's the leadership related. And what is your leadership style? And what do you think has influenced your leadership style and has made it successful? I would need you to elaborate a bit on what you mean by leadership style, because I'm not sure whether I would provide a good answer without maybe more details on this. That's also a very good reverse question and, and, and a bit of a challenge. Thank but you. <laughs> you're, you're running, you're running, uh, you know, you're running a team, right? You have you have people you work with, and you're also leading leading projects. And I guess there are multiple angles to this, right? You may be more dominant, or you may be more laid back. You may give a lot of freedom to people and allow them, you know, to to, to grow. Or uh, you may be exceptionally demanding setting the particular standard that you want people to follow, right? You, you, you tell them exactly what you want, expect them to do and you expect them to comply with it, right? You may be delegating a lot or you may be a bottleneck. What kind of a leader are you and how come that you have become such a leader in, in your own way? I can say that I have both of, of the sides here, depending on what the task is. So I believe that all of us, at least lawyers, especially female lawyers, tend to have this like control freak aspect. Sorry for, for being so direct. And on the other side, we tend to be very organized in what we do, especially if our to-do lists are, are, are that big. So I tend to delegate as much as possible, but those crucial and important things I do expect, but I also communicate this that way, I do expect to run through my, let's say, scan. 
So I have both of these sides, uh, let's say, uh, equally expressed. Thank you. Mrs. Hanapi Ega. Well, I would say that having been having studied at the University of Technology, I was somehow attracted by this university that by I think that those educational fields do have also gender patterns and gender, gender signals. And that's why I was kind of, you know, I mean, I have been there, I always said about more than 80 years brainwashed. So that's why um, I came out as somebody who is very analytical, very systematic, very strategic, very organized without neglecting that teamwork is essential in any kind of uh, area. So I can't think of any other job you could just ignore that uh, teams are really necessary. And that's also why I think that the educational background is the most influential issue in, in what, what kind of leadership you prefer later. And so this is also true. And I always, always experienced it, that I had much more in common with male engineers than with female artists. I see. Thank you very much. Ivana. I would say that it really depends on the situation. So I really tend to adapt to the circumstances of really the situation and what it takes. Overall, what is very important to me is to lead by example. So to really show the people that I do as I tell them to act when I ask them to, to do something or to behave in a certain way. So this I try to stick to, let's say, always. I very, I think, rarely say, you know, do this or do that. I try to present the problem and then ask them to come with a proposal of a solution. So to encourage them to think and to develop themselves in a way and help them support in finding, let's say, the best uh, solution for the team. But then on the other hand, when the situation uh, requests so like you know to simplify when there is a fire we will not be sitting down and discussing what are the options of putting down the fire so then I simply yes act uh, quickly take decision give instruction take responsibility at the end so at the end yes it depends really on the situation thank you Christina well, thanks for this question. I think it's a very interesting one. And, and I tend to agree with all of that, what has been said before. But for me personally, I would think the most important style of my leading is that, that I require or I look at all my team members as partners. So even if it's just a trainee who is on that project, I want that person to have the feeling that they have a word in what we're doing, right? Even I know I'm steering the process, but they feel acknowledged, important. They can propose stuff. And I think that you, that that's how you, you, you create a great team. And that's how you lead, at least for, for the arbitrations. That's what works best for me. Has your style changed over time? I would say it developed. I think I had no style at the beginning, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I'm the oldest child, so I might have always been bossy. But but in general, I, I think I, I really think it developed over time, and also what I learned from other great leaders, I would say, within the organization and, and from outside. Thank you very much, Fortune. Thank you, and uh, for me, I think I have to echo uh, Ivana, try to lead by example, and this is something that I'm uh, continuously working on, so I definitely don't feel like I'm there yet, so lead in a uh, 
confident, hardworking, calm, uh, and organized uh, fashion. But uh, one other aspect I think is the different team members have different preferences for leadership. So I also try to adapt to their preferences, whereas some would prefer a regular contact, others would prefer to be given the tools to to, uh, tackle a problem and then come back to you with the uh, solutions and discuss together. I always try to be there to support my team. I think always uh, the people that can reach me the easiest are uh, my team members and they know that I will have their back uh, in case whatever decisions that they are making. Fantastic. Well, I find, you know, I find the the trying to adapt to to style of, of people in the team actually except, exceptionally challenging. I, I do share that this is something very necessary, but it is also very difficult, right? So um, I appreciate very much all your answers. I have been taking a lot of mind notes and also, you know, comparing to our experience. I'm happy that you have answered all these questions. I would like to ask my colleagues to share the results of the, the poll that we have undertaken during this webinar today. So to the questions, does your company have clearly communicated diversity policies in place? We have an absolutely equal vote. I find, you know, I find all the results very interesting. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be probably giving a lot of analytics about it. Next answer, please. What we will do, we will do some uh, short analysis of all the questions that we have asked and the answers, and then include this information in the follow-up communication after our webinar. So the question to your company, do you feel that you can personally contribute to the diversity programs? Majority, a vast majority have said yes. And I find that absolutely amazing. That that means that people have a lot of uh, enthusiasm and commitment to, to contribute. Has your company shown flexibility during the lockdown that has made your family life easier? That is fantastic. I think we all work in very happy companies, or at least 98% of us do. Is your sector gender dominated? Yes. I suppose that this is, a, this is a very good question that should further be maybe explored and should be split into further follow-up questions, and we will think how to do that maybe in the survey. Absolutely delighted actually to learn that the majority of people, 74% of the respondents have not experienced gender inequality. And it's said that 26 have, but uh, I hope that these figures would be getting better over the years. Uh, I would like to once again, thank this fantastic panel, to thank our fantastic guests, to thank my partners in CMS, who I'm very much proud of, to thank everyone who's dedicated time on this day. But most importantly, I want to congratulate you to this day and to feel happy and to feel accomplished and successful about everything you do. So whatever you do, whether it's work or family or joy or friends, to enjoy life as much as you can and to enjoy your success. So happy Women's Day and we wish you a fantastic afternoon and good evening celebration.